The Bible is not just a collection of stories. It's not just a series of theological teachings or ethical principles or commands from heaven. It's also very often exceptionally practical. It offers us practical wisdom for our daily lives. God cares about the nuts and bolts of life. He cares about the little details of life. There's no area in our lives for which God is disinterested. He cares about every little thing. It says even in the Bible that even the very hairs on our head are numbered. And I won't make the joke that every pastor makes when you say that, right, about for some people it's easier for God to know how many. I'm not going to say that because every pastor always says that, and so I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but it's true that God cares, like, for example, Cecil, right? I mean, just as an... Um, I mean, I'm not going to go there, but just, you know, if I was... <laughs> Anyway, um, the point is that that God really does care about the little details of of our lives. Um, God is not a God who is somewhere else in a distant, uh, you know, universe or or realm, totally disinterested in what's happening with us. As we've said already this morning, He's with us. He's here. He cares. The idea that God is 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 somewhere else and totally disengaged—that's called deism. And we're not deists. We are theists. We believe that God is is present, God is active, God cares about us, and He's involved in uh, in our lives. And He wants to be more involved in every aspect of our lives as we welcome Him to do so. And so God doesn't just want us to live and to exist in His world. He truly wants us to live well in His world. He truly wants us to walk with Him and to experience His wisdom and His peace as we go through life. And, and so that's what this series is about. So we're talking about Proverbs living well in his world. Um, that in all of the big decisions of life and in all of the little decisions of life that we would experience his guidance and his blessing and his peace. As he really does love us like a father. He really does. And so as we have uh, been working through the, the series in Proverbs, uh, we are now on week six, and we've talked about the starting point, which is the fear of God, having the uh, correct posture towards God is the starting point to, to wise living. If you don't have a right view of God, then, then, and then the rest of it kind of is irrelevant, what God has to say. But if we come to God first with this posture of, of reverence and, and, and a healthy fear, then that is the, is the first step into living a wise life. And then we talked about in week two, walking with the wise, how important it is that we surround ourselves with uh, people that can help us on this walk with the Lord. Uh, And we talked about in week three, don't be lazy, that God has work for you to do, uh, no matter how young or how old you are, uh, that there is always something that God has for you to be doing. Uh, And then in week four, show compassion. And we, t- and we saw through the book of Proverbs over and over again this theme that God wants us to care for the poor and, and to do justice uh, for those who are suffering. Words of the Wise was week five. We talked about how we speak and the words that we choose to, to say. Um, th- that with our tongue we can set a, f- a forest ablaze. 
but if we're careful with our speech. And sometimes we need to do less talking um, and more listening. And then today, we're going to talk about money. Now, some of you, as soon as you hear the word money mentioned in church, you start looking for the nearest exit. I, I get that. This is not a sermon about the church needing your money. I know it's been mentioned a couple times, you know, if you're able to give, that's great. We're not after your money, okay? That's not what this is about. This, isn't what, uh, this message isn't about what God wants from you. Actually, this message is about what God wants for you. Because what God wants for you, He wants something for you in, in the area of your finances. And what God wants for you is to experience financial peace. God wants you to experience financial peace. Now, some preachers get up and they say, God wants you to be rich. God wants you to have the nicest clothes and the nicest car and the nicest house. And if you, have just, a, if you just have enough faith, brother, then God will give it to you. <laughs> right? Or if you just send me a donation of $50, then you're going to get blessed. Right? Some preachers say that. Other preachers, you know, God wants you to be poor. God wants you to suffer. God wants you to have nothing. I don't, I don't think either one of those approaches is necessarily what the Bible really says. Um, and I don't think it's the right way to think about the issue, whether God wants us to be rich or God wants us to be, to be poor. What I see when I read the Bible is a God who wants you to have financial peace. A God who wants you to handle money well. To be a good steward with what He's given you. To be a good manager of finances. So that, ultimately, instead of money being something that makes life hard and complicated, it becomes another aspect of your life that is used to bring glory to God. When I read the Bible, I also see a consistent idea that God is glorified when His people are radically generous when we talked about the sermon on compassion for the poor, that was uh, brought up as well. If you don't have financial peace because you're not managing money well, because you're not being a good steward, then it's very, very hard to be generous. It's very, very hard to be obedient in the area of your finances and what God calls you to do if you're not managing money well. If you're spending every dollar as fast as you can get it, then there's no room in your budget for generosity. You know, maybe this is uh, something that you have felt before. Lord, you know, I, I want to give to that project or that campaign or that cause, Lord, or I want to, I want to you know, help out my neighbor, you know, that single mom or someone who's struggling, um, or I want to start tithing, Lord, uh, but my bills are just, you know, they're piling up, my washing machine just broke, and I have a cousin who owes me money, and I have a car loan that I, I can't really afford. I'm maxed out, God, and I'm stressed out, and I feel guilty every time the offering plate goes by me at church. Maybe you can relate to that a little bit. A lot of us can relate to the feeling, and myself included, the feeling that we get when we realize that there's a whole lot more month left at the end of the money. We just had Halloween, and 
Uh, Global News did a did a story on just a couple days ago on what makes Canadians scared. What what scares you? What what are you afraid of for this Halloween thing? Uh, what do you fear the most? The top answers might surprise you. It wasn't the spiders or the dark or heights or public speaking. Number one, maybe not a surprise, was death. People are scared of death. But the number two thing that people are most scared of, that Canadians are most scared of, is their finances, their financial health. Uh, 43%, in the next slide, 43% of Canadians are fearful about their financial situation. Almost half of us, according to this article, are terrified about our debt, our lack of savings, our perceived inability to retire, terrified about an unexpected expense. What if something happens that I can't afford? What am I going to do? And those are not necessarily unjustified fears. The average Canadian, according again to what I've been reading, is only about $200 away from insolvency, not being able to pay their bills. And as a result, right, many people resort to debt, to loans, to credit cards, in order to maintain a standard of living. And Canadians are actually the worst in the world for carrying personal debt. The worst in the world per capita. Canadians owe $2.16 trillion in personal debt. You think about that and, and, and the reality that we are in. That This is a really serious issue. This is a, an important issue. And, uh, and I don't think we should ignore it in church. If you're perpetually broke, it's going to be hard to be radically generous. If you're perpetually broke, it's going to be hard to have a happy marriage. It's going to be hard to worship God if you're stressed out about money. It's going to be hard to sleep. It's going to be hard to love people. It's going to be hard to experience God's peace. It's going to be hard to live on mission for Jesus if money issues are causing you fear and anxiety. And so we come to God's written word and we say, okay, God, this is an important part of my life. And I'm stressed and I'm, and I'm concerned about my financial health. Is there anything in here that can help me? And when we open it up, guess what we find? We find that this is a major theme of the Bible. It's not just a minor theme. In fact, there's one person says over 2,500 verses that relate to money. Uh, when we come to the book of Proverbs, for example, we find that in this ancient treasury of wisdom, that there are concepts of good financial stewardship on almost every page. And sometimes we make a big deal out of, uh, out of things in the Bible uh, that, that the Bible only touches on like in one or two places. Uh, and then other times we barely address things that the Bible emphasizes repeatedly. And this is one of those things that we, we don't talk enough about as people who say we are all about the Bible. You know, if we're good Baptists and we really, we're, we're people of the book, you know, uh, we got to talk about this issue because the Bible doesn't shy away from it. Not at all. Jesus actually talked more about money than he did about heaven and hell combined. And I went to the hymn book because I was trying to choose a closing hymn. And I, and I looked for the section on money, hymns about money. Guess what? There isn't any. No hymns about money. There's over two dozen hymns about heaven. Uh, but no hymns about money. And I think the reason... It's a, ma it's a major theme. And I think the reason that, the, uh, that a ma it's a major theme of the Bible is because money affects us so deeply. It impacts so many areas of our lives. 
And how we handle money speaks to something deeper going on in our souls. Next slide. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, where your money is, where your investments are, the things that you have treasured in this life, the things that you have poured resources into, that's where your heart is. That tells us something about the condition of your heart. When I was uh, growing up in the 90s, uh, a thing was chain wallets. You ever remember those things where you had your wallet and then you had a chain from your wallet to your belt loop? That was cool for a very short period of time, but it was <laughs> cool. Um, and I think that a, 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 it would be a, a better an image to think about our wallets being chained to our hearts. That they are directly connected, according to what Jesus says. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. There's a connection there between our wallets and our hearts. Show me your bank statement, and I'll show you what you value. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. On a side note, it's not in my notes, but there's a, a, a joke that says, Do you know why men wear their wallets in their back pockets? No. So they'll sit on it in church. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so this stuff is important this is what my, I'm trying to say here this stuff is important these issues are really important it's important to God obviously uh, because he has filled his Bible his word with wisdom for us uh, so we can handle money well and experience financial peace to his honor and glory so today we're going to look at what Proverbs has to say about this most of the Proverbs were written by King Solomon. And King Solomon was one of the, if not the richest man in the world at the time that he was alive. Uh, he was exorbitantly wealthy. And he didn't become wealthy by accident. Sure, he inherited quite a bit from his father. Uh, but he was very wise. He was a wise, wise man. And he handled money well. So what? So when we come to, the, to Proverbs, we are, we are reading the wisdom inspired by God through a man who has a great, um, uh, a great reputation, a great track record for handling money well and for building wealth. Not that it's about getting wealthy, but we can see a man who's done it well. So we are going to, there's actually going to be six points, but today we're only going to do two. And uh, next Sunday we will cover the other four points from Proverbs on how to handle money well. So, so what does... Proverbs say, in the next slide there, about handling money well. And the first principle is get on a budget. As I said, this is an exceptionally practical sermon this morning. All right? And sometimes the Bible is just plain practical, and that's what we're doing this morning. Get on a budget. Proverbs 27, 23-24 says this, Know the state of your flocks. And put your heart into caring for your herds, for riches don't last forever, and the crown might not be passed to the next generation. It's very easy to spend money. It's very easy to lose money. And oftentimes money just seems to disappear, and we think, gee, where did all that money go? Uh, Proverbs says, know the state of your flocks. In ancient times, of course, sheep, your flocks, your herds, these were currency, right? This was a measure of your wealth. Your herd was your bank account. Know the state of your flocks. Know the state of your finances. Pay attention to what your money is doing. 
Money is always moving, right? It's, it's either moving away from you or moving towards you. And uh, if you're not on a budget, you're just going to find that the money is always moving away from you. So the best way to pay attention to what your money is doing is to get on a budget, to literally write out each month, each month how much money is coming in, and uh, here's what we're going to do with it, and then keep track of it and stay on track. Know the state of your flocks. Uh, another source that I was reading this week is I was reading about how Canadians are doing with their finances. We're not doing very well, by the way, as Canadians. Uh, one source said that fewer than half of Canadians use a written budget each month. Oh, no wonder there's so much stress and so much indebtedness. Rick Warren says, a budget is telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. This is truly step one. You will never experience, never, financial peace. You will never experience financial peace. The kind of financial peace that God wants for you to experience until you get on a budget. I think it's impossible. There's different ways you can do it. You can do an envelope system. Um, Neil and I have been walking in the mornings and he told me all about his envelope system. That's the old school way, but it works. Uh, there's also apps. That's how we do it. We have an app on our phone. It's called Mint. Dot com. If you've heard of that, it's great. It connects right to our bank accounts, and you can keep track of everything that you spend. It's awesome. Um, we only we only started consistently budgeting in January of this year, uh, and it made a huge difference. And I'm going to tell you more about what God has done in our lives in the area of finances in the last few months in a minute. But the first thing is know the state of your flocks. Get on a budget. Keep track of things. Don't just put money in the bank and then use your debit card everywhere until you get declined. And then go, okay, I guess I'm out now. And wait. No, we need to know where, what, what's happening with our finances. That is the beginning of good stewardship. And keep in mind, it's God's money. It's His money. And He's entrusted it to you. I've often used the illustration of, you know, um, imagine that uh, a friend loans you their sports car, some really nice car. I'm not a car guy, but just imagine, a, what's a nice car? A Porsche. Someone loans you their Porsche, and it's all shiny and sparkly, and say, okay, great, you can, you can take care of this for me, you can drive it and enjoy. Um, you know, you're not going to go and just drive that thing recklessly and, and, and go, you know, doing donuts in the field. You know, you're going to take care of that thing. You're going to treat it like it belongs to somebody else. And that's what is the reality for our finances. It's all God's. God says everything on the, in the earth is mine. The, all the gold is mine. All the silver is mine. It's all mine. Uh, he's just entrusted us to take care of it for him. Uh, and so we better do a good job. So the first step is to get on a budget. The second step is to stay out of debt. In January of this year, so I mentioned that we started getting on a budget in January. In January, New Year, you know, we're going to change our lives, like we say every year, and then we never do. Um, but in January of this year, I put on an audiobook. I've been starting to listen to audiobooks a lot. And someone had recommended this book called Total Money Makeover by Dave Ramsey. You can put the next slide up there. There's Dave Ramsey, Total Money Makeover. And... Uh, and uh, Dave Ramsey is a, is a Christian man, evangelical Christian in uh, Tennessee. And uh, he has uh, a very, you know, he's a very wealthy man now. But he, he, he basically helps people. He has a daily uh, radio and YouTube show called Dave Ramsey Show. People call in and he gives them financial advice. Uh, and all of his financial advice comes from the biblical 
Wisdom. This is biblical wisdom. This is very practical, and it's it's good. It's great. So anyway, he wrote this book called Total Money Makeover, and uh, and so I listened to it one night and put the kids to bed, put the audio book on. I was cleaning the house, and I could not stop. I, this is I, this is incredible what he was saying. And so I got a notebook and I sat down and I stayed up until like one or two o'clock in the morning and listened to this whole book from from start to finish in one night with all these notes. And I just said, okay, this everything he's saying makes so much sense. I'm going to put it all into practice. And his whole thing, Dave Ramsey's thing, uh, really is is getting out of debt, getting out of debt and staying out of debt. Um, he's famous for cutting up credit cards on stage with a big pair of scissors. Um, and this is biblical wisdom. As it says, if you go back to the previous slide, Proverbs 22, 7 says, Just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is servant to the lender. That word servant is also translated slave. The borrower is slave to the lender. God wants us to be radically generous, but guess what? A slave can't be radically generous because a slave is indebted to somebody else. A slave is constantly having to pay back this debt that they're in. A slave isn't free. A slave can't go where he or she wants to go or do what they want to do. That's exactly how it feels when you're up to your eyeballs in debt. A MasterCard is well-named, right? Because it becomes your master. A borrower becomes slave to the lender. So we experience a little bit of what this looks like. Uh, when I was 20 years old, I uh, wanted to get engaged to this beautiful girl down here, Julia. Uh, but I didn't have the money. I was a student at St. Evex. I didn't have the money for an engagement ring. So I went and I got myself a credit card. All right. I needed about 1200 bucks, something like that, to get her an engagement ring. So I went and got myself a credit card. And I realized that I am really good at using credit cards. <laughs> but I'm not very good at paying off the credit card at the end of the month. And so this, this, this credit card began to grow. We got married, and we weren't on a budget, right? We weren't very consistent or good with that. And so we'd find ourselves each month running out of money before all the bills were paid or before the month was over and we couldn't afford groceries and all those sorts of things. So what do you do? Well, all we can really do is get, use the credit card. And so every month we'd put a little bit more on the credit card. Of course, but then it doesn't, you don't have any more money the next month to pay it off. So you just keep adding to the credit card and hopefully making your minimum payments, uh, but building up, building up, building up what's on your credit card. Um, that and one, So this credit card was maxed out. So then we decided, well, let's get another credit card with a lower interest rate, uh, and then we will, we will stop using um, the one with the high interest rate and only use the one with the low interest rate and we'll pay off the one with the high interest rate, and that'll be, that, was, that would be a good idea. That was so stupid. It's the stupidest thing we could have done. Because guess what happened? Then we maxed out that one too. And we had two maxed out credit cards. And so uh, by January of this year, just 2019, this is a, this is a fresh story. Uh, we had over $12,000 in credit card debt. So that $1,200 engagement ring became $12,000 of debt to the credit card companies. And on top of that, we had over $5,000 left in a car loan that we were slowly paying off each month. So we had over $17,000 
in bad debt. And I say bad debt because not all debt is bad debt. There's some good debt. If you've got a mortgage, that's not, a, that's not necessarily bad debt. It'd be great if you could pay cash for your home, but most people can't. And so, you know, you know, you take out a mortgage, that's all right. You go get a student loan for education. That's an investment in your future. And that's not what I'm talking about because we do have some student loans as well. I'm not counting those. But, and now we have a mortgage. Um, but, uh, but over $17,000 we had just in this really, really bad debt. So we were in this really bad situation. So then in January, I read this book, okay? And I, I said, okay, I'm going to start putting some of his principles into practice. We're going to get on a budget. We're going to start paying off debt. We're going to save a little bit for, in an emergency fund and all this stuff that he says to do. And so we just started getting things under control. We stopped spending on unnecessary things. We got on a budget. We took some, we took some as well as savings that we had to, to pay off some of the debt. And by the end of May, so this was January, by the end of May, just five months, we were debt-free. Just five months. Yeah. Isn't that awesome? We paid off over $17,000 in bad debt gone. I don't even know how we did it. I don't even think we made $17,000 over those five months. Like, I don't, honestly, we were talking about it last night. Like, how did that even, how did it even happen? God just, like, was just so faithful to us. Um, and we just, because we were, wanted to do this and be, be good stewards, and he blessed us, and we just attacked the debt, and whoosh, it was gone. Uh, so that was the end of May. Then a week later, the transmission went in our van. <laughs> and uh, we had to use the credit card again. Um, <laughs> But, uh, but when you start applying biblical wisdom and discipline into your, into your life, into this area of your life, it can make a huge difference overnight. And it's true for all areas of our lives. If we would just heed the Word of God and just put it into practice, you will see transformation take place in your life. So the second point here is get out of debt and stay out of debt. And, uh, and I encourage you to get a copy of Dave Ramsey's book. You know, if, if you're a person who just feels like your finances are out of control and you don't know what to do, get that book, read it, uh, listen to the audio book, whatever. Um, I'm not an expert, as you can tell, um, on finances. But I have learned uh, his principles that he takes right from Scripture, his baby steps. And uh, if you want to sit down with me and talk about that, I can, I can tell you what we did and how it works. Um, so we're going to stop there. And next week, we will do part two and continue to talk about some of these biblical principles for financial health. Um, let me just say this. Jesus said, Matthew 6, 24. He said, No one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. So there's that slavery image again. Just as debt can enslave us to lenders, money in general can enslave us. It can become an obsession. It can become a distraction. It can be a weight that holds us down, especially when we mismanage it. The weight gets heavier. The chains get tighter. The enslavement gets worse. When we love money, you know, it says in, in Timothy, the love of money is the, is the beginning of all evils, the root of all evil, the love of money. When we love money, it, it replaces the position of God in our lives that God wants to have enthroned on our hearts. And he says you can't have two masters. So God wants us to handle money well, to be wise stewards with it, because he doesn't want us to serve it 
He doesn't want it to be the thing that controls our lives. Rather, He wants money to serve Him. He wants our money to bring glory to Him. Earlier, I said that our wallets are chained to our hearts. Where our treasure is, that's where our hearts are. And our money follows our heart. So I say to you now, chain your heart to Jesus. Don't be bound by anything in this world. Be bound to God alone. There's a great old hymn, and we are going to sing it. It's not about money, uh, but it, it's Come Thou Fount. Jennifer is going to come and just play for us. Come Thou Fount of every blessing. And it says in that hymn, it says, Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. A fetter, fetters are like handcuffs for your ankles. This is what fetters are, or for your hands too, I guess. But fetters are like chains, handcuffs. And the hymn says, God, I want your goodness to be a fetter. I want to be, I want to be handcuffed to thee. I want my wandering heart uh, to be chained to you because, because I'm prone to wander, Lord. I feel it. it says in the hymn, I'm prone to wander, Lord. I feel I'm prone to leave the God I love. My my wandering heart is is prone to go over here and get distracted by this thing and and to, and to feel like I need to have all this stuff and therefore I mismanage money or I'm I'm prone to go over here and get addicted to that thing or get obsessed with this thing or get my eyes fixed on, in the wrong direction. I'm prone to do that, Lord, and so I my prayer is, Lord, bind my wandering heart to thee. Don't bind your wandering heart to anything but Jesus. So my prayer for all of us today is let's bind our hearts and our lives more fully to God. Let's allow Him to call the shots. Let's invite Him to make the calls. Let's trust His Word. Let's apply His wisdom to our lives. Let's just see the difference it can make when we start to say yes to God in the big decisions and in the little decisions of life. When we're willing to say, yes, Lord, I want your best for me. I want your will for me because you know what's best. And he loves us so deeply and he cares, uh, cares for us so deeply and he cares about every area of our lives. Praise God. So let's sing this hymn now, Come Thou Found of Every Blessing. This is our our closing prayer. Can you can you stand as we sing?